And with me on the line, as is our custom on Thursdays, is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm trying to stay stay dry right now. Well, I'm driving up your way to preach at two congregations tonight. Is there a lot of snow? Yeah, well, no snow. It's raining right now. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I don't mind the rain. But a lot of things are raining down on the church, and you found a very interesting article that we need to talk about. It was about nuns, but not N-O-N-E-S, namely those who have no denominational affiliation. We're really talking about Roman Catholic nuns, and there is a small group of them that have some ideas that I think our listening audience would be interested in. Can you kind of capsulize what the item that you received talks about? Well, I ran across an article uh, last week about uh, Roman Catholic nuns, N-U-N-S, that that, uh, describe themselves as LGBTQs or just lesbian nuns. And they came out with a new book called Softly Tenderly, Sacred Stories of Lesbian and, and Queer Religious. And uh, in it, they they chronicled uh, 23. Now, I haven't looked at the book itself, but I went to a website that had sold it. And uh, the, the article that I sent you, and as well as uh, some articles that I took a look at, talked about uh, nuns in some of these articles date back to the 1970s where they talk about uh, making it clear that they're not going to go away, that they identify themselves as gay lesbians and uh, they have every right to be a part of the Roman Catholic Church as the homosexual priests and uh, they, they feel that they can lead a celibate or chaste life as well as as heterosexual nuns so they're making the point that they can lead a chaste life how do they know that they're gay then well (laughs) i don't mean to laugh but uh uh they they talk about uh Having gone through life experiences, feeling feeling uh, uh, that they have a love for uh, for somebody of the same sex. In, in oh, I see. Yes. Well, I found that interesting when that one nun said, "What's wrong with me being a member of the Roman Catholic Church since I am chaste?" But the fact is, the homosexual priests. They're certainly looked down upon by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, removed from office. Uh, A number of them have been arrested uh, and given some kind of sentence. So why would they compare themselves to the men when it is clear the Roman Catholic Church isn't in agreement with that kind of action? Well, well, two two things. The the first one being that... uh, they believe that they can do it better than the men. 
leading a chase life because uh, they they're looking at uh, so, several of them in uh, the movement are looking at it as that uh, it has nothing to do with the genitals uh, in, in terms of being gay that uh, you can be gay without involving yourself in the sexual act. Second thing is uh, they quoted from Catholic teaching, and, and the quote that they use is, sexual acts may be open to the possibility of generating life, hence essentially between a man and a woman. For this reason, homosexual acts are considered a sin, and people with homosexual tendencies are deemed intrinsically disordered. And they they can understand the part about not being involved in a sexual act, but they don't see themselves as intrinsically disordered. Very, very good. Um, when I read that, two things came to mind. Uh, number one, regular gay people would not like this book at all because the nuns make it very clear that they are chaste, and that's not what the gay community wants to hear. Because if you have to be chaste, then you cannot live that particular lifestyle. And I found that very interesting that they don't okay the acts between homosexuals. The other thing I noticed is something from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you know, a sin is not only an action but it's also a thought and a word. So our thoughts can be evil and are equal to whether or not we commit the sin. That's why repentance needs to come about in such people. And I don't know if you've had any experiences with uh, gay people. I have. And that's what the Bible leads them to repent of it and remain chaste. But I don't see any repentance on the part of these nuns. That, that's, yeah, I, it's well said what you just what you just commented on. I was trying to figure out the best way to put that, and I think you just, just did a nice job explaining that. I mean, and I would agree that they, they don't, I don't see repentance on their part. The articles that I read, uh, it was rather interesting that uh, they came up and said because they're they're lesbians they're they're better at at loving people and and loving women towards each other they're better understanders they're better celibates they're better chaste they 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 were better at everything than, than the heterosexual which led me to believe that uh, they're caught in their their own thinking. Well, that means that they're saying they're better than the apostles, who, of course, did not have that kind of attitude towards the gay lifestyle that they have. And therefore, they're better than God, because God clearly indicates that the gay lifestyle is contrary to his will. And I believe you found some Bible passages that might be able to help us, because our goal here on KFUO is to give... Bible verses for the listeners to help someone come to a proper understanding of the will of God. Well, there, there's quite a few 
I mean, uh, let's start off with First Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not do not be deceived? Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So, you know, Paul makes it clear in First Corinthians that it's people who practice homosexuality. He also brings it up in, in Romans. The Roman society believed that, uh, that one of the downfalls of the Greek society was homosexuality. So they, they saw it as abhorred. Uh, and um, he went on to talk about it in Romans chapter 1, that it was a sin you know, just just like gossiping, slander, murder, lying, things like that, that that uh, to commit such acts were were uh, sinful. Yeah, let me uh, read from Romans one. He talks about where people claiming to become wise, and that's what these nuns are doing. They become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, that's right in the New Testament. So did you find anything in the Old Testament contrary to the gay lifestyle? Well, uh, you know, I I took a look at uh, the uh, passages, uh, uh, you know, the Bible research off of uh, Word study off of uh, the word Sodom itself, you know Sodom and Gomorrah. We we believe that uh, Sodom was destroyed because uh, among among their evil practices was homosexuality. Yeah, we and, saw uh, that when the angels came to Lot, and the men wanted to have the angels, and Lot was willing to give them their daughters, his daughters, but no, they didn't want that. So it's clear that Sodom and Gomorrah uh, had uh, the gay lifestyle as okay. Right. What's interesting was it's mentioned 47 times. I was able to do a computer search on it. Sodom is mentioned 47 times in the Bible. 20 of them are in the book of Genesis, between Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis 19. And then... uh, another 18 in the rest of the uh, Old Testament, which which came to, to 38 and then 9 in the New Testament. What's interesting is uh, the rest of the Old Testament is they compared 
to to the destruction of sinners, uh, just as as the destruction of Sodom was, and that's what what a simple life leads towards is destruction as as in Sodom. So, God, when He sets up His will, He also sets up consequences when we disobey His will. It's kind of like in the the science, uh, you take a a pen and you let go of it, it will drop to the floor. We call that gravity. That's the consequence of letting a pen go. Similarly, when you do not follow the will of God, you do end up with consequences, and there are plenty of examples of that in the Bible, negative consequences all the way to the fact that the Israelites were put into Babylonian captivity and and so forth. So God doesn't fool around with sin, but he allows these consequences not to get even with us, but to wake us up to the fact that we are not following his will and Mm. bring them back into a right relationship with God. Isaiah 110 is speaking just what you're talking about. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So. Very, that very thing you just said is brought out in Isaiah. In fact, Jonah and Nineveh is a great example where Jonah is sent to a Gentile uh, city that does not believe in the true God. And just a little bit of preaching gets the entire city to repent of their sins from the least of them to the greatest of them. And they were Gentiles. So even in the Old Testament, God is making the distinction that in his eyes, believers, either Gentile or Jew, there is no distinction. Both may come to the Lord in repentance, believe in the gospel promises, and be saved. I, I, I think, you know, excuse me, it's about the second time you repeated it in, in a different way that that there there is that it is sin and that it there is forgiveness found in, at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're not saying that homosexuality is the only sin. It, it, it is a sin like gossip, lying, stealing, those kind of things. Uh, it's is recognizing, recognizing it as sin and that it is forgiven in, in, through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. When we excommunicate someone, that means remove them from the Lord's Supper. It's not because of a sin they have done, but it's because they have no repentance of that sin. And in the article, I don't think you found any repentance on the part of these nuns, did you? <laughs> that plus some of the other articles I read, no repentance, nothing about a life in Jesus uh, who forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know, the the that's why I like that ESV article, uh, that EIV uh, uh, English version translation there on First uh, Corinthians, where it says nor men who practice homosexuality. The sin is practicing it. For whatever reason, we may have that condition. 
And I think you used that analogy once of a, of an arsonist who commits arsonist or who has that proclivity to commit that act. But yes. Doesn't act upon it. Yes. In fact, that is the goal of the church: is to first of all reveal where we all sin, and we all do, and then to repent of it, receive forgiveness, and then in the life of sanctification, attempt not to continue with that. For example, if we have someone who's an alcoholic, one of the things we would encourage them not to do is to go to a bar every night. You know, yes, that's a good point you're making, and it brings us back to full circle on, on this article. It's almost as if they, they say, I can do this good work of celibacy on my own, and that should merit something be, before God and, and the Pope. Yes, it's really a denial of what Moses says in Deuteronomy, that there's coming a prophet after him. He's referring to Jesus. And his task will be to repeat the will of God the Father to the world. And Jesus spoke with authority in the sense that he never quoted what other rabbis were saying, but he quoted what the prophets of the Old Testament were saying. And that makes a big difference. These women who are supposedly nuns do not <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Do not do that. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yes, you'd made that point the other day in one of your broadcasts about the about the quoting. And as I read these articles, not only the one I sent you, but others, they, they constantly do that. They quote the Pope, or they quote some church church father in order to to get their point across, but never the scriptures. The scripture. Is is interesting, like the lost coin the woman found and she was glad. They interpreted it as coming out and finding out that you're you're gay, and you, it's okay. Yes, interpretation is one thing, but application is the important thing. And you're saying uh, saying to our audience that they apply the lost coin to finding that they're gay. Well, the, the 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 lady that found it, she was so happy at finding finding that coin that it's the same exuberance they find out when they're they're gay. That's what one of the articles I read said. You know, that sounds like pedophiles that they get joyous when there's a pastor telling them that they can do those actions as long as the child with which they're doing it doesn't object to it. And yeah. that's really where we're heading for next, that pedophiles are now going to be permitted also, uh, as are others who do sin. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you. What comes to mind is how do we, how do we as, as, God's people witness to 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 the NUNS or or to the whole community about this. Well, a good example would be, of course, Jesus. The the Pharisees come to him and say, "Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife?" And Jesus knows that they think it's okay because they misapply 
what Moses says when a wife displeases the husband that you can put her away. But what Moses is talking about is displeasing as the rest of the Bible shows because of adultery or desertion, etc. But the Pharisees reinterpreted Moses' words to say that if she isn't as good looking uh, now as when you married her, or if she burns the toast at breakfast, those become grounds to divorce her. And so Jesus went back to the Old Testament and showed them that that was not the application of Moses. Uh, okay, good, good illustration. And their interpretation, another one that I ran across very quickly was, of all things, Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord said, it is not good that man should should be alone. They They interpret that to humankind in this traditions that is not just man but uh all kinds of human beings they they translated it too so it's it's like from the very beginning of scripture they take that and reinterpret it and i think the important thing is just as you pointed is is how jesus brought out the word itself and the proper application of that word an improper application that man should not be alone doesn't mean that that's fulfilled when he's living with another man. And that's why, boy, the Supreme Court really made a mistake in okaying gay marriage, because this is going to cause numerous problems, not only among the gay marriages, but also within the church. I won't be surprised that the government's going to say that we can no longer speak against the gay lifestyle. And in fact, like in California, it's against the law to try and change someone's gay lifestyle uh, back. And so pretty soon the church is going to be faced with those kinds of laws, which we will, of course, ignore because we are to obey God rather than men. I think your point is well taken in there in Genesis. When God said man should be left alone, he didn't give him another man. He created a, a woman. And therein lies the difference between what a marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah, I, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where men are with men or women are with women that God uh, okays. It's always condemned by God. Yeah, and it's a forgivable sin. It's it's not a sin that, uh, as we've been discussing before, if we come in repentance of all our sins on a Sunday morning when we make confession, we confess all our sins, not just some of them, and receive forgiveness for all our sins through Jesus Christ. Yeah, a proper pastor will give the indication to a gay person that the pastor really does sins just as much as the gay person does. And the distinction is that the pastor repents of those sins, whereas, as you just saw from this article, there is no repentance, thinking that, therefore, they are fine in the church when the church is clearly opposed to this lifestyle. I'm glad we took time to 
take a look at this because that was that was really clear. It's, it's getting to be a problem again, or well, always was, but uh, it's coming to the forefront in in our our uh, communities, and and uh, I think it's going to be on the rise again. Yes, in fact, I'm not going to be surprised when there is violence against churches and Christians because of their impossibility of okaying the gay lifestyle. Well, the church has gone through that in, in yep. over the centuries, and it's uh, all because we know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well said, and tomorrow's Law and Gospel is Open Mic Friday where we will respond to people about issues that they might have. I'm Tom Baker, and this has been Wes Reimnitz talking on Rumination Thursday. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.